1: And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host Kevin Parker, your co-host Scott Martin here uh, recording on a Sunday late afternoon here. Uh, We are in the off-season dead period here so we're going to start rolling through some off-season content. We did have a little bit of news around the program as far as transfers coming in. We'll get to that. Uh, We got a a fun episode here. We'll we'll kind of go back and forth. You know, we, we get a little bit chummy here on the podcast. We're going to try to disagree a little bit. So we got some reasons for pessimism. We got some reasons for optimism for each position group. We'll kind of go back and forth and, and battle on that a little bit.
0: Uh, before we get to all that, Scott, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Caught me on a good day. Allergy season's been coming in hot this year, but uh, doing pretty well today. I was worried about it for our our listeners and their ears, but I should be in pretty good shape. So, um, yeah, dead period. Not a lot to follow. Horse racing is uh, making its presence known again. That's how you know nothing else is going on. Um, but uh, yeah, we're rolling.
1: Anytime Bob Baffert is on national sports radio for more than like a ten-minute segment before the Kentucky Derby, there's nothing going on in sports. No. Yeah, it's
0: time to go find another mint julep.
1: Yeah. Um. Speaking of kind of what's going on in sports, Scott, I, w- I want to start the podcast with this. Uh, it It's not exactly, you know, we only do this once a week. So it's not exactly, you know, in the news anymore as much as it was earlier in the week. But uh, it got me thinking a lot. So DK Metcalf, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, was was getting some buzz because he went to an Olympic trial run. Uh, for the hundred meter dash without obviously a whole lot of training. I mean, he's, he's training to be a wide receiver. So a lot of that is transferable. I don't know if you watched the video, it was hilarious how much bigger he was than everyone else in that field. I think he's like 235 pounds, but he went out there and did pretty darn good. Like he, he wasn't last. I finished, I think his time was like 10.36 or something. And obviously again, without like formal hundred meter dash Olympic training, the last time he said he ran track and field was in high school. So as far as, you know, just kind of stepping out onto the, onto the track surface, pretty darn good. So I wanted to ask you, Scott, a a two-part question here to open the pot. So the first part is, I'm going to give you a year of training. You're an Olympic sponsored athlete. All of your expenses are paid for your only job for the next 365 days is to train for this Olympic discipline. What is the one sport that you think you could get, you could go out there and not make a fool of yourself. Maybe you're not competing. Obviously I, I don't think either of us are competing for a medal, but there could be a sport out there that you think, you know, maybe I wouldn't finish last or I would finish last, but like at a close enough margin that it's not hilarious. And then what's the opposite? What's the one that it you could give me a year of training and it would still just be absolutely hysterical to watch you try to accomplish this on, on international
0: television. All right. So we starting with the good one starting with the positive
1: like we can do All that right.
0: yeah okay so i had to go into the vault a little bit um i don't think anything my my athletic glory days are behind me i think i've come to terms with that anything that's like super athletic probably counting that out even if i have a year these people have been doing it their whole lives and uh, it takes a while to get to that stage so i gotta find something kind of niche um i settled on archery because a couple reasons one i don't have to be the most elite athlete in the world two there's probably not a huge talent pool you're competing against i mean around the world sure there's plenty of archers but like there's less archers than soccer players so from that sense and then how many of those archers are professional enough to only train for an entire year. Like I think I'd even be getting an advantage on a lot of these folks. <laughs> um, cause I can't imagine there's a whole lot of professional money in archery. So that's what I settled on. And I've done it a little bit. I, I have a bow do a little bit of hunting, have a little bit of experience. So I think give me a year I'm training like 12 hour days, just, you know, throwing arrows into a target. I think by a year I could not make a fool myself in the Olympics.
1: I have shot a, bow and arrow a couple times in my life most recently as a member of the boy scouts of america circa 2005 it's been a while uh i think yeah with a year of training i i still wouldn't be great i'm a decent dart player so i don't know if that skill is translatable but um yeah i i so I was looking at the list as I was kind of getting ready for this and there were two that stuck out. The more I thought about the, the one, it, it didn't really make sense. So the, the one I was kind of thinking was road cycling. I'm like, that's basically just a matter of like, you know, just, you know, endurance basically and and leg power. Right. I was like, you know, give me a full year to train. Okay. But going back to your previous point, like, the road cyclers here are probably legitimately road cycling professionals who are competing in, you know, the tour de France and and all these events where this is their livelihood. And it's, it's an event where it's kind of an accumulation thing where over the course of a long race, you would look at the times scattered across and mine would like, it wouldn't be like hilarious just to watch in itself. But I figure by the end of the race, like the pan over shot of where all the, the competitors are and where I am, you know, like 20 miles the back.
0: They throw the broadcast back out to the cycling center, like three hours after the race ends, because <laughs> oh, our last competitors finishing up, looks like Kevin Parker's finally rolling across <laughs> the finish line. That would be hilarious. So I, the more I thought about that one, the more it didn't really make sense. The one I settled
1: on, is still a sport that I genuinely believe that if I was in like a smaller country, uh, I could, I could make an Olympic handball team. I wouldn't be one of the best handball players in the world, not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not trying to, to demean the talents of, of high level Olympic handball players, but you get me in a small country like, um, I don't know. Europe, Europe, they're pretty big on handball. So you get me in uh, Vietnam. I could, I could be a top 10 Vietnamese handball player. If I trained, I think, you know, I played lacrosse. I played hockey. uh, I played basketball. I think these are all relevant uh, things. I'm a decent athlete. I got, I got a little bit of height and length to me. So I think handball would be one where you give me a year to compete, figure out the rules. Cause I've watched it before. And it's like, I, I don't see it, man. I like, I just don't see how this is like that challenging of a sport. So that's the one I went with
0: on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. One of those like uh, amalgamation sports where they took like three or four different sports and they're like, let's just shake it up. Let's shuffle it a little (laughs) bit. You know, you got like the throwing of the, and then, running but then it's it's set up like soccer right or football for for our european listeners um have you ever seen the it's like a full soccer field but it's ice and it's 11 v 11 and they're playing soccer on ice but it's the size of a soccer field it is the most incredible sport (laughs) anybody listening obviously we can't bring up a video for you guys but if you have the time and i i'm sorry i don't have the name of the sport either that's on me for not doing my research but google like soccer size
1: (laughs) hockey and
0: they they play soccer too it's not hockey they're they have skates on but there's a i believe a soccer ball and it's yeah it's it's another level but anyway wild stuff out there pessimism what well what would be the most humiliating Olympic experience possible for you even with and in this scenario we're still taking the year to train and it's still that bad so
1: the easy answer is all of them because let's be honest like (laughs) compared to Olympic athletes any of these things even like as I'm mostly joking about handball like it's all of these things would be hilarious and I came down to a couple I, it's really hard for me to pick just one, the whole group of any sort of combat sports. It would be You could give me a year to train against Olympic boxers and I'd still get knocked out in three seconds. So that would be funny. Um, the wrestling would be the same. I mean, it watching me try to wrestle a a legitimate, (laughs) like lifelong wrestler would be hilarious um, the karate, you know, judo, you could lump all those together. That would be hysterical. I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. I've never been in like an actual fight. So I <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how that would go. Um, the one I landed on though is something you could give me an entire life to train for this. Wouldn't matter. I would be so out of my element that it would be hysterical for the international audience. And that's synchronized swimming. I I'm not a good swimmer. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a good dancer. People who have seen me listening to this uh, podcast right now who have seen me at a wedding can attest to this. I'm not a good dancer. I'm not a good swimmer. So combining the two of those things is just asking for a hilarious result. So synchronized swimming is the one I went with. That would probably be the funniest for the, uh, for the audience.
0: Yeah. Uh, I thought about synchronized swimming. Uh, it was on my list. I I ended up going with boxing. I did spend a lot of time on all of the combat sports. I think some of them like judo, maybe because there's restrictions, a lot of like, there's, there's little finesse rules. Maybe I could just like dance around and like, (laughs) I don't know avoid contact altogether Um, boxing is what I settled on Um, and when I thought about it it got even worse because you know I'm not ashamed of anything I weigh about 185 pounds give or take depending on the week that would I would have to cut that would make me a heavyweight (laughs) and I I I know a lot of our listeners have probably never seen a picture of me but imagining I'm not like a big guy um, I mean I'm I'm pretty tall, but not a lot of meat on the bones. So put me in the ring with a heavyweight champion. Maybe I could cut, I mean Tyson Fury, like me, me versus Tyson Fury in the Olympic gold medal. Well, it wouldn't be the gold medal, it'd be a qualifier. Yeah, I was gonna
1: say we're we're giving ourselves a lot of liberties here.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think I could cut down to the 178. Um, maybe another weight class lower. What is that? Uh I have it up right now. 165. The next one's 152. I'm not getting down there. So maybe put me at 165, but I'm going to be like (laughs) skin and bones out there. So, uh, once you get down to those weight classes
1: too, you got dudes who are just lightning quick. So fast. Yeah. So it's, we were kind of talking about this before we started and like, there's a bunch that would be like skateboarding as an Olympic sport now you give me a year training like i would be so bad compared to these dudes but by year like i could skateboard i could i could do a kickflip you know i could do some basic stuff so it would be more just like boring to watch me than entertainingly bad you know so there was a few of those that i thought about like that you know maybe fencing would be a good that was another one i was thinking of like i have no idea how to fence and it would just be like do do point for the other uh, do do point for the other guy and it would just be like kind of funny to watch somebody who probably even after a year wouldn't even know like the rules but yeah yeah the easy answer is is all of these right (laughs) weightlifting olympic weightlifting (laughs) i'm not a strong guy you could give me a year and i wouldn't even be able to pick those things up and it would just be some guy like (laughs) straining like veins popping out of my head trying to lift (laughs) the bar to do the deadlift to even just get it off the ground
0: (laughs) i'm sure you've seen it before but have you ever watched world's strongest man
1: oh uh my dad and i my dad and I would marathon that show. Like Marius Pujanowski is a, is a Polish hero of ours.
0: The stuff they do, the keg toss cracks me up, right? I was, I saw a video of this on Twitter the other day. I don't remember what the clip was, but it was the dude and it, you know, the kegs get progressively heavier. Um, And by the end, they're just heaving like their full body weight over their head, <laughs> over this, like, it's probably like a, I don't know, 14, 15 foot, like, threshold you know bar um but the thing that cracked me up is these dudes are heaving these things up there and then they come back down and if they don't make it they like come (laughs) back down like right on these guys and you've got these whatever they are 300 pounds of pure protein trying (laughs) to hustle their way standing on sand (laughs) out from under this you know whatever it is 150 pound keg as it comes hurtling towards their head
1: yeah the the best is the when they do the keg toss is the early weights where they're like (laughs) it's it's like launching. it's you or me throwing a baseball is these yep. guys throwing like a 50 pound
0: keg <laughs> it's yep. just it's so effortless it's hilarious yeah i don't i do my back hurts thinking about this stuff <laughs> we gotta move on
1: yeah so no was just something i've spent a lot of time thinking about this week because like, we got to get our thoughts on the pod i know it's not exactly uh timely uh but you know we do this once a week i think If we were to do it more often, we would quickly run out of content. So as far as program stuff, though, there was a couple of things that, that were notable. So the most important being Ronald Williams transferring in from Alabama defensive back, who's going to come in and I think compete for playing time right away. So he was a Juco kid. Uh, number four ranked Juco corner in his recruiting class. So there's kind of a separate ranking for, for Juco prospects. Number 12, overall junior college prospect uh, of his group from Louisiana, went over to Alabama, got some, some uh, backup snaps. I uh, played in three games, three blowout games. And uh, the, the way we were kind of talking about it was, yeah, a, a guy that's going to come in and compete for, for a starting job right away. I think we can kind of expect that at this point.
0: Yeah, it's exciting news. Uh, continue to add to the new defensive backs of the program. I think between transfers and incoming freshmen this off season now we're up to 10 defensive backs, uh, new faces in the program. So obviously a lot of competition. You're shaking your head like I got something wrong. No,
1: it's, just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like just stupid to think about how much is going on. Like it, even you can read all the articles. We talk about it every week, but just hearing
0: it every time. It's just like, yeah. Continue to add Harlan Barnett is going to have a dogfight on his hands in fall camp. Um, obviously a lot of playing time, which we'll probably get into this episode. Like we do every episode talking about defensive backs. Um, a lot of playing time up for grabs. That is. But yeah, this addition, Ronald Williams, he's right up there with the top, I think, tier of incoming corners competing for playing time um, and and should hear his name going into fall camp right away. I believe a lot of the incoming transfers and freshmen moved on to campus this week as well, speaking of mm-hmm. other news. So I wouldn't imagine Ronald Williams is there yet. But uh, I
1: actually think uh, right before we started recording that I saw a tweet update that uh that he has arrived.
0: Oh, there you go. So, oh, there it is. It's uh, one hour <laughs>
1: Breaking news so, on the pod.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he is on campus, and uh, he'll be competing, like Kevin said, for a starting role. So um, don't know too much about him. His tape is extremely limited from college, especially Alabama. But, uh, but yeah, one of those guys that, along with maybe up to half a dozen other guys, is, is competing for the second, third, fourth Cornerback slots to get into that two deep depth chart.
1: Yeah, I think like we can get excited by a guy coming over from Alabama. And I think we can, we can hype that up a little bit more than we should. Uh, I think, you know, judging by Twitter, I think a lot of people have done that. But uh, again, he saw limited snaps in three blowout games. And so it's not a guy who was, you know, locked down corner for a national title team. But I, I think it does show a little bit in that the coaching staff wanted to get him on the field a little bit to, to basically get some tape for the off season. They're saying, all right, we got this number of guys that we know are going on to the NFL or graduating or whatever. And uh, we're going to want to get some on field snaps for some of these kids so we can evaluate them over the off season for, for next year. So I think he was at least one of those guys that was in that group for, maybe this is a guy that's going to have a shot for us next year for playing time again at Alabama. So I think there is some reasons to be excited about him, but uh, we also need to maybe temper the expectations a little bit, right? It's not Patrick Sertain coming from Alabama. It's Ronald (laughs) Williams, but it's still exciting nonetheless.
0: You mentioned he, you know, got some snaps for off season tape, and now he decided to transfer. So that process didn't probably play out the way he was hoping. I mean, he, he didn't, likely didn't make the cut at Alabama and that's probably why he was moving on and again that speculation could be totally wrong but uh just reading the tea leaves but in any event if if Nick Saban's staff and I don't want this to sound too like glorifying of Alabama I know it's tiring but if Nick Saban's staff was high enough on this kid to give him a shot I think Mel Tucker at this point in his uh career at Michigan State is is more than happy to have a guy like that coming into Michigan State for another shot in, in another program
1: and the other transfer news came today, just a couple hours ago. Uh, So, former Mississippi State tight end Powers Warren transferring into the program as a preferred walk-on. The reason this is important is he is the son of current Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren. So, I don't know, maybe we can get some scheduling favors here over the next couple (laughs) years. Uh, Maybe this will help us out um, you know, logistically just from the big 10, we get a couple favors done, but as far as on the field that I I don't know, it's probably not going to be a huge impact guy, but maybe this can grant us a a couple of favors from the conference down the line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is after last off season, Kevin Warren had maybe historically one of the worst off seasons in football history in any position player coach administrator anyone he had one of the worst off seasons ever last off season so hopefully that mojo stays in the last off season and i, I certainly you know shouldn't pin that on his son but um yeah it's we'll all see his we'll see what kind of attention <laughs> is it positive attention and did uh, do we not want the kevin warren link i don't know i haven't really reached a decision on that front but in any event seems like a good kid um never hurts to have, you know, another option at tight end. He looks like a big body. So um, yeah. Interesting, uh, interesting news. Unexpected, I think.
1: Yeah. So let's get to our main event here. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth here. We got a couple of uh, reasons for optimism, a couple of reasons for pessimism for each of these position groups. And we'll kind of go back and forth. One of us will take the optimistic side. One of us will take the pessimistic side on each of these position groups. And we'll, uh, we'll try to battle this thing out a little bit here. We'll have some fun with it. So I'm going to kick things off here. I want to start with the quarterbacks as we always do. And I'm going to give you a reason for pessimism. And uh, hopefully Scott can tell me why I'm wrong here. But the way I was thinking about this is look, we got probably a lot of reasons for pessimism for the quarterback spot if you've watched over the last few years but the way that I'm looking at it right now is that we don't have a guy on the roster that is going to exceed the system. We don't have a guy that if if a star receiver gets hurt, if the if the play call wasn't if it wasn't the right call, if the the opposing defensive line is just getting just torching our offensive line and getting a good pass rush for a whole game. I don't think we have the quarterback on the roster. That's going to Excel in, in those type of situations. I think we have two quarterbacks that can run a system efficiently. Maybe if everything is, is right around them, but when things aren't going right around them, let's say knock on wood, one of our guys gets uh, gets injured. Jalen Naylor gets hurt. Jaden Reed gets hurt. Right. And you're working with a, a limited wide receiver group. I don't know if either of these guys are, are still going to, you know, make everyone around them better and excel in those type of situations. So the pessimistic side of looking at the quarterbacks is like, we don't have anybody that's, that's going to, again, like
0: exceed the system, if you will. So the reason for optimism for me is that we have a couple of guys that at least one of them should pan out as a guy that, as you mentioned, should be able to run the system, which has not been uh, a consistent figure the last couple of seasons at Michigan State. So um, we know what the floor is. To me, when I look at this quarterback group, I think the floor is Russo, the the aggregate average play of of Rousseau over the last couple of years um which is not it's not bad i mean it definitely has some gaps he throws a few picks he's not a mobile guy but you know as you mentioned he when things are going right he can do the things you need him to do um and and he's going to do that so he kind of sets a floor he's a fifth year senior so you have to some degree leadership at the quarterback position with him so that's your floor and the further optimism is that we're talking about a floor here him or peyton thorne coming up or another surprise who knows could be better than we thought so at a minimum you're getting a fifth year senior a jake rudock esque for comparing where okay he's not a lights out quarterback but he'll do the things you need him to do he's experienced he's not going to panic Um, and and you get that, and and on the high end, maybe you get something more. Maybe this system for Anthony Rousseau is even better for him than where he was at Temple, and he excels to a degree that we haven't seen in the past. Maybe Peyton Thorne unlocked something this offseason, although it's starting to feel like we've been waiting for that for a little while, but in any event, there could be be potential we haven't seen yet in this quarterback group, and it's not going to be that bad even if that potential isn't fulfilled. If it's just Anthony Rousseau in his fifth year, with a strong arm and a good head on his shoulders, it's going to be better than it has been last year. Potentially some of the Brian Lewerke years. I mean, the fans remember. So I think that's, that's why we should be optimistic. The issue with that is I, and, and I
1: generally like the, the floor is higher this year than it was last year. But the, the problem is that I, that I'm worried about this year is, we have two guys who like we mentioned, we, they can, they can run a system and they can run a system maybe quite effectively or efficiently. Um, what if the system isn't any good? Like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're, we're not, I don't think that's sold on Jay Johnson as a, as a schematic play caller or, or play designer. So we got two guys who can run a system. That's great. But, What happens if one the the system in general just isn't that good, and then two, again, if if things start falling apart around them, you know that that's that's where the worry is for me here with the quarterbacks.
0: Okay, but to be fair, you could put that on any player in the team. I mean, if that's a system thing, that's not a reason to be pessimistic about quarterback. It's a reason to be pessimistic about the thing. Is
1: we have it? Oh, on this roster, it's it's tough, but. You have different positions where you you have a guy who might be talented enough that even if the system isn't good, will still perform like Jaden Reed. uh, He's not an all American kind of guy, but he's somebody where even if the the play call isn't great, even if the the system around him isn't great, he'll still find a way to just make plays because he's a good playmaker is a good player. Uh, with the quarterbacks, I I'm not really so sure about that. That that they would be able to perform even if the things around them aren't going. So that's I guess where it, like there isn't that talent level that you're like okay, even if it's not what everything's not right around him, then he'll he'll still be okay. Like both of these guys could crumble with everything
0: falling around them. I I don't know. Yes, but I feel like you are holding them to standards above where they're at i think excuse me with was where the program is now if we have stability at quarterback and in an operating system i think that's success that's that would be an optimistic outcome and you're asking now to take that another step further and unlock almost star potential in your quarterback which certainly that'd be very optimistic we'd love to have that but I'm not sure not being having that star talent where you can take a whole team on your shoulders at the quarterback position when everything's falling down. I'm not sure that's even what we're aiming, expecting, trying to find at this point. Certainly we're always looking for that, but I'm not sure that's, that's the current immediate target. I think right now we're just trying to find someone run the system. Don't make too many mistakes and, and make a few unexpected plays.
1: Yeah. And, and this gets ties like, as we've kind of already mentioned, I mean, th- this, I think, gets tied into Jay Johnson a lot because we we just have, again, two guys who who I think are capable of doing that. Is the system going to be good enough? Is the scheme going to be good enough? Are the plays going to be good enough where we can put these guys into good positions, whoever it might be that's starting? But
0: uh, what about the running back, Scott? Let's, let's move on to that side. Yeah, so, I mean, the running backs... I like this group. I'll start with that. I know I'm supposed to be pessimistic. I like the group. There's a lot of different guys with a lot of different skill sets. And I think that projects well to trying to find your guy, especially when you're establishing a new scheme. We may not know, our coaches even may not know if a power runner or, you know, a a squirrely back or a speed guy or, you know, pass catcher out of the backfield is going to make our team the best. So we have a lot of different options to play with to see really what works for us. The problem is we don't really have any running backs who have put together a full season of really strong work. Eli Collins probably had the best season two years ago with, I think he had nine hundred and ninety yards on the season, which is great. I mean, basically in a thousand a thousand yard season, awesome, except last year, nothing and I know that all the stories around COVID and he wasn't necessarily in the shape he wanted to be that's great too but it's still been two years since he has been an effective running back so how when you look at this you got Jordan Simmons who's been up and down never re- I mean he's he feels felt like he had breakout games but didn't feel like he really established himself you've got Kenneth Walker and you've got all these other transfers Harold Joiner, who We've heard good things, but we've never seen them. So where is the consistent dominant running game, running back going to come from? And one more reason to be uh, pessimistic, the offensive line, I mean, we had a historically terrible run blocking team last year. When you look at the adjusted statistics, kind of the deeper metrics around um, run blocking, specifically the blocking, the performance of the offensive line, we'll get into this a little bit more when we're talking about them it was, we were in the bottom five in just about every rushing category for run blocking. So I don't know if Kenneth Walker could be the next Delvin cook, but if the guys in front of him can't block, it's just not going to matter. So, uh, and that's a huge, the biggest, to me, the offensive line the biggest question mark on this team. And it, you know, a lot of that will dictate the running backs success.
1: That was where I came down with, like, I was trying to find a reason for, for, pessimism and for optimism for each group, just so I could sort it out in my head. And running backs were the hardest for me to find a reason for pessimism because look like optimistically you have a deep group of five plus guys that I would feel comfortable giving carries to you have a group with youth. You got a lot of of eligibility left. So if we're looking for depth, if we're looking for eligibility in the future, it's not just a group that's going to be good for one year. It's a group that should be good for the next two, three, even four years. And then you have a number of guys who have at least proven on some level to be above average uh, college running backs. So you have you mentioned Eli Collins there right? He he battled with COVID, had a bad year last year. I mean, we can just kind of accept that for what it is. And I, I think you do have to note how bad it was, but we also have to know how good he was a couple of years ago. So if we can meet somewhere in the middle there, that's still a productive running back. Jordan Simmons was a guy I was pretty high on behind that terrible offensive line. He still ran for four yards of carry last year. And I think in his last game of the season, I've mentioned before against Penn state was his best game. So I think the arrow was pointing up for Jordan Simmons. And then you bring in uh, Kenneth Walker, who's had a career like 20 touchdowns or something in like 14 games who has, you know, kind of that stud potential, I guess, like you mentioned, we haven't seen a ton. He's been kind of working in a backfield share in a weird, wacky offense. So there's a lot still to be seen there. And then you have Harold Joyner who's kind of the wild card, like just very little college production, but the the highest recruited of all these guys has the size and athleticism that a lot of these guys don't have. So maybe there's not a bell cow guy. And I think as Michigan state fans, especially compared to other schools, we've grown accustomed to having that one dude the Le'Veon Bell the Jeremy Langford the the Eli Collins even a couple years ago the what LJ Scott was supposed to be right like we we've gotten accustomed to having the one dude who who carries the team who carries that workload and I think this year it's it's the stable approach where you're going to see four or five guys that are all getting significant carries that are all staying fresh and that all have their own abilities and, and you have guys who fit different skill sets. You have the smaller wiggle kind of guys. You have the bigger power backs. You have so much of everything on this roster that I think the running backs, maybe they're not the best position group on the team, but they might be. And it's just a group that I feel so comfortable with going into this year.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, again, I feel bad like being pessimistic towards the offensive line when we're talking running backs, but I agree with most of what you say. I think we have a well-rounded group of running backs with a combination of experience and youth and potential and a very diverse skill set. And and we should be able to find a couple things that work for our offense from that group. The challenge I have is the offensive line. And I mean last year, you know, I was kind of a meta or a comparison here i was watching the 2008 (laughs) red wings playoff highlights okay so the last time the red wings won the cup just watching some of what that looked like because it's no nothing like that now and they just looked so fluid and so competent like they knew where everybody on the ice was and they knew where all their teammates were and they didn't even have to look to put the puck where they wanted it and like, that's a lot of how a good running game works. You have your assignment, all five guys on the offensive line have their assignment. They do what they need to. And it moves like one unit to, to open up gaps for the running game. And when you look at some of the highlights, well, they're not highlights. When you look at some of the, the film from last year, I mean, these guys, not only could they not hold their own, they were getting pushed back regularly and run blocking all the way across the line and the, the play never really even took shape like gaps forget opening you couldn't even tell where they were trying to open gaps these guys were getting pushed back they're on their heels every game and a lot of that was guys moving around positions playing where they're not used to but a lot of it was that i just don't think we had a really high level of talent develop, developed enough to be competent there so um it's it's hard to look past that i think the running backs are in pretty good shape but if there's nothing going on in front of them then it's just i mean it's a race to the sidelines every play Yeah, no. And
1: I agree with that. I I guess the difference is like, you know, they're they're tied so closely together that you kind of have to to mention it. But if we're just talking about the running backs, I, I think we can feel really confident if we're talking about the running game production. I think that's a different case. So as far as the running back specifically, I, I like where this team is at. Uh, again, I like the depth. I like the overall talent. I like that there's a lot of young guys mixed in there as well. I'm going to move this to the wide receivers, and there's I think a quite a significant reason to be worried about this group. There's a a kind of saying and an expression that goes around football. And nowadays we're we're using so many wide receivers uh, around the field at the same time compared to where we were 10 years ago. And there's an idea that you want your wide receiver group to look like a basketball team. You got guys who are playing different roles. You got a small, you know, slot guy who can make people miss in the open field, who can run a quick out and, and you know, get away from a a safety and, and just do that role really well. You got your big red zone threat. You got your, you know, kind of midfield targets. You've got a lot of different guys who are playing different roles who can do different things for your team. This wide receiver group worries me in the sense that we got a lot of guys that look really similar. You got like if if we're looking at people who are gonna be contending for playing time this year, who we saw last year on the roster, Jaden Reed, six foot one eighty-five. Terry Lockett, six foot one seventy five. Ricky White, six one, one seventy five. Jalen Naylor, six foot one eighty-five. Trey Mosley, six two, one ninety, is like the big guy at, at six two, which isn't, you know. Six three, six four, six five. There's there's a big difference there. And six two on the roster reads probably six one. Like C J Hayes, uh, same thing. So you you have a lot of guys that I think are talented, but they're all kind of the same player. Trey Mosley's a little bit different just in his skill set, but you just have a bunch of guys who are are playing very similar roles who are doing kind of the same thing. We don't have that, you know, electrifying, small, short area quickness, you know, slot receiver. You don't have the, the red zone threat. It's just a bunch of, of intermediate kind of guys. And and you have a Jalen Naylor, who's a field stretcher, but not in a, in a very traditional sense, I don't think so. That's the worry for me is you don't have a very diverse skill set here. You got a lot of guys who are kind of doing the same thing.
0: Yes, but the reason we should be optimistic is because this is the most proven successful group on the offense on this team. We have two guys who if last year was a normal season would have pushed a thousand yards. We've got other guys who have shown flashes. Uh, Trey Mosley a couple years ago really came started coming on the scene near the end of the year I was kind of up and down with injuries at the end of that season and throughout last year but Ricky White's obviously shown flashes I think um, Lockett Terry Lockett is going to have a big season this year I think he's a name that's kind of floating under the radar but I think he's going to blow up this year and you've got a couple transfers coming in uh, adding to the mix as well so I think Again, going back to what the floor is, you roll with, with Naylor and Reed for another season and you play the hot hand in the slot or you move Naylor into the slot when you want some speed in there and, uh, and you know what you're getting and they're going to be effective. Um, I, I agree that they're kind of cloney and we've talked about that before, especially when Ricky White was in there, it felt like three of the same. But uh, you had a guy like Christian Fitzpatrick coming from Louisville, six foot four, He's gotten some playing time. I don't know if he'll be an every down guy, but could be a, a red zone threat. Um, Malik Carr, whether you classify him as a tight end or a wide receiver, yeah, I'll let you take your I'm pick.
1: putting him more in the tight end group. I just, I really doubt him playing a true wide receiver role, I, but he'll be a pass catching tight end. Like it, you can mix them together. A right. Little. I mean,
0: you've got like the Travis Kelsey conversation. Yeah where he lines up in the slot at like 60% of his snaps or whatever it is. But um, in any event, proven guys, I know they're maybe a little undersized as a whole when you look at the entire group, but um, you know what you're getting, they played really well last year with really poor pieces around them their quarterbacks I mean we know what that situation was like and those quarterbacks were trying to get the ball out long before routes had ever been completed Mm -hmm. so they made a lot out of a little last year if we're taking the steps we hope to take we settle the quarterback position a little bit get some consistency and they get a full season I think this wide wide receiver group is going to be fine and could even be a top three wide receiver group in the conference
1: Yeah. I, I like, I, I like the top guy. I love Jaden Reed. I love Jalen Naylor. I think those two are awesome. It's, it's where, again, like the, the roles are kind of similar. And then I, I've started to question the depth a little bit, uh, again, knock on wood, you know, throw your salt over the shoulder, whatever. If either of these two guys gets hurt there, there are guys that I certainly, I like the potential of behind them, but Ricky white. We saw one game, uh, Terry Lockett. We, we haven't really seen, he he played a couple snaps here and there, but he hasn't had that kind of production. Trey Mosley has struggled to stay on the field. So you don't have, I guess the, the reliable guys behind them. CJ Hayes is a guy who we've seen, you know, just kind of step in and, and fill a minor role in offense when he needs to, but Yeah. That, that does worry me a little bit because I, I, again, I love our top two guys. Uh, I think Reed and Naylor are among the top duo in the conference. It's the guys behind them that I I just haven't seen enough of to feel super confident. And yeah. And then kind of what we mentioned there with, with, uh, with the, the, the roles on the team being quite similar. So uh speaking of tight end, right. Malik Carr, you mentioned can kind of fill both categories here, depending on the way you look at it. So, so what are you looking at as far as the tight ends?
0: I'm nervous about the tight ends. Um, I think there's, this is a position that it's felt like ever since, jo- uh, Josiah price left the program, there's been potential and it's never really come through. Um, It's kind of like the offensive line. We had success there at that position in the better years of D'Antonio and even the earlier years of D'Antonio, but it kind of just fizzled and now we've been through a cycle of a few guys who just never really made a splash. It feels like we've got some of those guys in the program right now. Trenton Gillison seems to be the likely candidate for the starting role, but he's been in the program fighting for snaps for two years and consistently gets beat out by dudes that don't look that good. So what are you going to get out of him? You've got a guy that I like in Cam Allen, but he's a true freshman. I mean, he came in or he you know, an early enrollee, but he's still a true freshman at a position where you need to put on a lot of size to be playing in the big 10 at tight end, regardless of how big you were in high school. You have to get bigger to move to tight end in, in the big 10. So he's got his work cut out for him. Malik Carr. I mean, yeah, he's got a great athletic profile, but even he might be a little small to play uh, in the center of the big 10. and um, Yeah, it's just a position we haven't seen a lot of production from. Our quarterbacks never seem to find these guys. We haven't really had anyone who's really made their name kind of a staple in our offense for about the last five years or so. And I don't necessarily see a guy who's going to change that in a dramatic way this season. Yeah,
1: I'm not going to tell you that in 2021, it's going to be a great group. The reason for the optimism is the future for me. I, I just i'll echo a lot of what you said for this year but i guess looking forward there's there's a lot to be optimistic about you mentioned cam allen who we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast is a guy that we just love the profile of we love the the highlights that we have seen from him in high school and the potential that could be there malik carr i, I mean just to clarify like that dude's six, five two thirty. I mean, he's, he's got plenty of size. He's got plenty of athleticism. He was a four-star guy, one of the best players in the state of Michigan in his class, uh, last year coming over from Purdue. And, and again, I, I don't know if he's ready to play that type of role this year, but we look forward to the future. I think between Malik Carr and Cam Allen, there's a couple really exciting players as far as this year, you know, I, <laughs> Trent Gillison's a guy I've been waiting for. And I just, I'm, I'm kind of done with that rodeo of playing that game every year. But I I think the reason for optimism is the future, plain and simple.
0: Yeah. I mean, Cam Allen fanboy. I think he's going to be great in his career at Michigan state. So I'm not going to argue about the future. I think Malik Carr has got plenty left to show. So those two alone, um, I think we're going to be in good hands, but you know, 2021, I just don't see where the production is going to come from there. I think it's going to be a development year, a find your guy kind of year at that position uh, with the guys that we have on the roster. And I just don't think it's going to be a huge splash uh, in our yeah, offense don't, this season.
1: Don't forget powers. Warren. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the name we're going to have to keep an eye on here. No, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like I said, the optimism is in the future here. And, and it's, it's one of those things that's hard to project because we, we don't know, but. I think there are some really exciting players for 2022 and beyond, uh, but I, I'm with you there. It's hard to find reasons to be optimistic about this group this year. Um, offensive line, I know you wanted to take the the pessimism <laughs> point, so I'll let you run with this, and then I'll we're we're uh, we're doing our behind the scenes on the fly here, but we're approaching an hour. We can we can cut this after the offense and do the defense next week because there's a couple talking points that I really want to hit a decent portion of, uh, on, on the defensive side. And I don't want to let this thing run for two hours. So.
0: Yeah, we'll cut it. We we'll, we'll, we got plenty to say for the offensive line. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cut it off, split it into two episodes, keep the off season train rolling, but the offensive line, I probably showed too much of my hand in the running backs <laughs> conversation. They're, they're tied together but hand I, in hand. I mean, I mean, this is a group, and I absolutely feel like a a broken record saying this. This is a group that every offseason, since the really good offensive lines that we had in the early to mid-20-teens, it feels like a group with guys that have been waiting and ready to break out. And every offseason, we're like, all right, this has to be the year. You know, Devontae Dobbs, he's been on the sidelines for your Spencer Brown. He's been in the program for a year or two years, whatever it is, this should be the year, you know, and, and it goes back to guys earlier than them too. And yeah, I have the same feeling this year. We've got new guys like Jarrett Horst, obviously, hopefully everybody's coming into the season relatively healthy. Um, and there's experience in the offensive line, but when that experience was being a member in the in a bottom five rushing offensive line in the country how much does that experience count for and how can we count on a fourth year senior last year on a historically bad offensive line all of a sudden well the he's got the experience now he'll be good this year I like these guys I'm sure they're all great guys it just feels like a group that has not put it together and most of them have been in the program for a little while there's a couple younger guys that seem to be coming along but they still have work to do and with the with what we've seen from our upper class in the last few years I'm not entirely confident those younger guys are going to continue taking steps you'd hope they would take and I think from a pass blocking perspective, we'll be at least average. Hopefully we'll take some steps forward. We'll be able to create a nice pocket and, and give the quarterback some, some time. But when I'm really thinking about the offensive line, I'm thinking about how are they going to stimulate a running game to really make this offense move and, and open up holes for these running backs like we were talking about. And I'm just terrified that we're, again, not going to be able to do that this year. And maybe we'll be – I mean, in the top 80 – This year, which would be a huge step forward. Last year, again, we were in the bottom five out of 127 teams in like every rushing offensive line, advanced statistic, advanced rating. And um, I just don't see how you could take a step forward to a degree that we looked like a really good running offensive line this year. So from that point alone, I think it's going to be another tough year. I think we'll take a step forward, but I think it's going to be a point of frustration again throughout this season.
1: Yeah. The, the reason for optimism, I think is Chris Kapilovich being in his second year and you get a little bit more consistency as far as these guys being together coached in this scheme, being coached in this system for another year. Again, last year, new system, no off season COVID, everything that went along with that, I think made it extremely difficult for the offensive line more than any other position group, because that group relies so much on, on communication and and working together. And when you don't have those consistent reps in practice, just being together and knowing what the guys around you are, are supposed to be doing and, and being able to rely on them doing what they're supposed to be doing, I think is so important. And just a lack of that, um, I I think was really devastating to this group, but I look, I I've talked about it before. I don't love the individual talent on this line, but you bring in a guy like Jarrett horse who I think can start right away. Uh, That certainly helps jump one of those tackle spots up a little bit. And if, if anybody here listens to, or, or reads pro football focus, they consistently preach that you don't need to be the best offensive line in the league, right? They're, they're mostly focused on the pro game, but they're, they're always preaching that you don't need to be the best, but you need to be at least average. And and for the bad offensive lines around the NFL, they just constantly preach: just get back to average. If you get back to average, and you you're good everywhere else, you'll be just fine. And I think that's going to be the name of the game here for this year. So let's just get back to average, like you said. I mean, the the stats were horrible last year, ranked in the bottom five, bottom ten in like every statistical category. Let's just start creeping back towards average here. And I think we'll be just fine. Like I said, like, I love the running backs, but if we can give them an average offensive line ahead of them, that's they're going to do great. And like historically under Kapilovich, when, when he gets an opportunity to spend a little bit more time somewhere, when he was at North Carolina, like, man, those offenses were putting up numbers. I mean, he had an offensive line that was helping Mitch Trubisky look like a top two pick. So it's, um, I think there's certainly, when you look at his history, you have an, an offensive line coach that was, um, uh, their offensive line was named a semi-finalist for, for the, the Joe Moore award. It's the award for the, the best offensive line in the country. It was one of the top three to five groups in the country in 2015. It was, in 2000, so his North Carolina history is pretty interesting because in his first season, after his first year, they had three offensive linemen that were drafted. You had Jonathan Cooper, who went in the top 10, you had a third round pick, and you had a seventh round pick. And of course, I'm not going to credit Kapilovich with that because those weren't guys who recruited, those weren't guys he'd really developed. It was, you know, one season. But the thing that's impressive to me is after your first year, you get three high-level offensive linemen that leave, and you have to revamp that group. They didn't take a step back, man. They they just kept moving forward. And those offenses in his time there were were explosive, were were just rushing, passing, were balanced, were awesome. So I think that's the biggest reason for uh, for optimism is Chris Kabalovich being a proven. Successful offensive line coach Mel Tucker praises this dude more than anybody else on the staff. So, I think that's where you're going to land on. It's not the individual talent on the on the offensive line. It's the fact that Kapilovic finally has a whole off season after a full season, uh, more or less. You know, seven games, whatever. But after getting more of an opportunity to coach these guys in practice and get them reps together in his system. That's where you're going to look at. You're not going to look at the individual talent. We're probably not going to have a whole lot of guys drafted over the next couple of years, but you're going to have an ability under Kapilovich to finally get some stability there. And, and hopefully his, um, his experience, his talent in coaching offensive lines, that's where I'm going to look at to get this group back to average.
0: Yeah, to me, it just feels like another off-season spin and the same off-season spin in a new mask. Just going off intuition and previous accolades. I mean, I see where, you know, the train of thought is. And I I like Chris Kapilovic. I think given his time in the program, he's going to be a success here. Um, I just, with this group and the players that we have, and it just feels like we're doing the same thing again. It feels like we're finding another reason for optimism. And, and blowing it out of proportion with dudes who have, yeah, they have experience, but they haven't looked that good in their experience. And I just, I, I don't see the evidence that we're going to turn that corner this year.
1: Yeah. And that's like, you get back to like offensive line. It's not a position that relies on individual talent, right? Like if you have a Quentin Nelson, if you have a you know dude like that, who's just so much better than everyone else, Sure. That's going to make a huge difference, but I think offensive line more than anywhere else, it's not somewhere where you need to be individually talented and gifted and, and, and exceptional. It's the group, right? So if, if you get that system together, if you get a little bit more time to get the communication down, to get that trust across that line, I think that's where we're going to look to. So yeah, if, if those measures, right, there's 127 FBS teams we were ranked towards the bottom of all of those, right? So if we can creep back up to, to the eighties, to the sixties, I think that would be a huge improvement. And that would mean a lot more points on offense. That would mean a lot less just negative plays, negative drives, three and outs, just get this group back to average. And I think that's going to make such a big difference on this team. Cause we haven't seen that in damn near freaking six, seven years.
0: No, I mean, it feels like a foreign concept. You know, when, when you watch last season, it feels you watch it and you forget what a competent offensive line looks like. You forget what good football looks like. It
1: really has been since 2015 that we've not even that we've had a good offensive line, but that we've had a decent offensive line. I mean, that, that year we had a great offensive line, but that was the last time that it was even decent ever
0: since then. It's been horrible. I believe Jack. Allen and Jack Conklin left the program to go to the yep. NFL after Both that All year. Americans. So you lose two All-Americans. You don't yep. fill the pipeline behind them. Uh, you reap five years of of mediocre offensive yeah, line play. Man, so,
1: it's it's been even 2017. We put up 10 wins, but it definitely wasn't on the back of that offensive yeah. line. So it's been a while, but hopefully
0: Kapilovich
1: can get this thing turned around for us.
0: Yeah, we'll see. we got a lot of big guys coming in. Again, the strategy for recruiting, we've talked about it before, contrary to what D'Antonio used to do in taking the less physically gifted guys who knew the game well. Tucker said, just give me dudes who are big, fast, and strong, and and we'll see what we can make out of them. And that's what we're going to do. I mean, Kapilovich, he's got bodies. He's got guys like Ethan Boyd coming in at a a relatively Pillsbury 310 pounds, but nonetheless, I mean, a true freshman offensive line, offensive tackle coming in at 310, you build him into a a big 10 player like that. You know, you you put your chips on yourself, you bet on yourself, but uh, I think they'll have, have guys to work with. They just, they've got their work cut out for them.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's wrap this thing up. Like I said, we don't want to, we got a long off season. I I think we could safely say that. So we'll do, the defense next week. I think there's a lot of very, very interesting talking points on the defensive side of the ball that I want to make sure we can dedicate some time to. So fun episode here, talking about some Olympic sports, uh, a couple transfers and the offensive side of the ball, some reasons to be optimistic, pessimistic, and we'll get to the defensive side of the ball next week. So until then, Make sure you're following along on Twitter at Standing Room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18. Follow on Instagram at Standing Room Spartans. The website, standingroomspartans.com. We're going to try to get more writing up there uh, over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, other than that, obviously, as, as always, please share the podcast with any friends, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, leave a review. If you have a couple seconds and you want to help us out, it it really does. So until next week, when we hit the defense, hope everybody has a wonderful week. Hopefully you have a great Monday to start that work week. Go green, go white and take care folks.